Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Good evening and welcome to Amplify, a telephone talk show that looks at life from a religious perspective. I'm Father Ron Lingwin, hoping that you have felt the warmth of God's love in your life this day, especially the joy you feel when you share God's love with others. I'm not quite sure. The guest that uh, we have scheduled for tonight is not available. Hope uh, nothing wrong has happened. We'll continue uh, to try to be in touch. Well, in the meantime, we're going to go an open conversation. But I'm going to talk a little bit about his, his book. Um, but before we do that, because um, he talks about uh, the church, uh, the title of the book is Everywhere You Look. And he's saying everywhere you look, you'll find the church when people are out doing the good that we are able to do. Uh, And so he suggested we can discover the church right where you are. Whatever it is you are doing, you can find the church. But as you know, each week, those of you who listen regularly, I uh, start the program with a story that is faith and called Faith and Imagination. I've been doing that for uh, over 40 years. And um, I'd like to begin our program this way. John the fisherman, sometimes known as Big John, asks Jesus, Master, what do you mean by faith? After healing people, you often tell them your faith has saved you. John, Jesus said, you know what faith is, for you have lived under its influence and power. When you go out in your boat and cast your nets upon the waters, do you not do so believing that you will make a catch and then return safely to shore? Otherwise, you would not go, would you? Experience has shown you that we are subject to both good and evil in the world. Faith is a special love from my Father that enables us to walk the path of goodness as it winds through sorrow and joy, because we know that my Father walks with us. John just shook his head and said almost apologetically, Master, I understand your words, but not what you're trying to teach me. Sit with me, John, and I will try again. When I came into the world, I didn't understand why. And again, I didn't understand why when I saw you and asked you to follow me. You came. And many times tears have filled my eyes when my father's children have refused to accept the gifts 
he has asked me to give to them. Faith is opening your heart and your mind to receive the Father's love, strengthening yourself with that love to do whatever my Father asks of you, and then sharing that faith, that love with others, so that they too may follow my Father's will, even if it means returning home again to him in the heavens, having freed the world of some of its pain by carrying it away in your own body. Life can be compared to taking a boat to sea, which can be so calm, so beautiful one moment, and so dangerous and frightening the next. Faith is knowing that no matter what happens, even if you were to be hung on a cross, my Father will be with you, and his love will ultimately prevail, even though the victory may come only after death. John became a little confused and also concerned because Jesus seemed to be learning this lesson himself even as he taught it to John. Story of faith and imagination. I want to read from our guest book in just a minute, but I want to reflect on on why I selected this story. I don't do that too often, but we're going to talk about... uh, I'll talk about the church with the guests, and we'll, pro- we'll try to have him back again some other time. And he says that hopefully, John, you live your life, Jesus is saying, with faith, so that when you go to do something you know is right, or something you know that is good, you believe that is going to happen. You don't go already defeated. It, one might compare that to the Penguins game. Some people, the last uh, playoff game that uh, the the other Toronto came in, Montreal came in, uh, ready to play and uh, younger, and thought they couldn't win, even they were the last place team in the in in the in the tournament. What about us in in our lives? As you approach, as you approach this morning, or as you will approach tomorrow, do you believe you can be successful? Because you know whatever you do, you don't do by yourself. You know that you do it together with God, that God is is with you. And that experience has shown us that there is both good and bad in the world. That we are involved in a conflict. And that's why we need to be coming together in community, in many different communities, to form what we call a church, which is an individual group of people coming together that is part of hopefully someday universal church with all of our divisions, but nevertheless still has some universal dimension to it, no matter what church you happen to believe. And John is is confused uh, by Jesus's words. He he says, I understand the words, but I don't know what you're trying to teach me. And and that's true. Some people are able to speak the truth, but can't really teach it very effectively. Maybe the words are words we don't understand, or maybe they just can't develop it in a way that the mind needs to pick it up and reflect on it. And so... 
Jesus responds to him that faith is a special love from my Father that enables us to walk the path of goodness as it winds through sorrow and joy because we know that the Father walks with us. And there's the, there's the important point. Um, think about some of the people in your own life who have walked with you through different periods of your life, different times, maybe for years, maybe from the beginning of your life, maybe just for a season, maybe just for a time. But God walks with us through people that he sends into, into our life. And so John then just uh, shakes his head and says almost apologetically, I, I, st- I still don't understand. And so Jesus says, sit down, John, and I'm going to try again. And it, it seems to be a very honest moment with Jesus. Remember, he's both human and divine. And uh, so we, we should not be surprised whenever he explains to John, he says, sit with me, John, I'll try again. When I came into the world... I didn't understand why. So Jesus is saying there was a time he didn't have full knowledge. There was a time he didn't understand why he was here, what he was to do. Some people may not believe that. There are different theologies, different Christologies, what people believe about Jesus. But certainly it it could be true because of Jesus's, that part of his life that was, was human. And he says many times... Tears have filled my eyes when my father's children have refused to accept the gifts he has asked me to give to them. And if that's true, we we can only wonder if it's still true today, that there are so many gifts that God wants to give to us, and yet we're not ready to receive them for many different reasons. Maybe we don't think we're worthy of them. Maybe our heart's not open to receive such love? Are the minds not open to understand what is being given to us and what we then should do with it? There's so many places where we can do good, and that's what the author was going to talk about, that where good is happening, the church is happening. It's not just a building, but but it's it's people. And so... Jesus, having explained these facts from his own life, then goes a little bit further in his explanation about faith when uh, John asked him, Master, what, what, do we, what do you mean by faith? I guess it was a word that John heard come out of Jesus' mouth many times, and it, it certainly is in the Scriptures many times, for sure. And again, he says, Faith is opening your heart and mind to receive my Father's love, strengthening yourself with that love to do whatever my Father asks of you, and then sharing that faith and love with others so that they too may follow the Father's will, even if it means returning home again to him in the heavens having freed the world of some of its pain by carrying it away in your own body. Can you take these words and listen to them in your own mind and and heart? Is 
Jesus speaks to you and as he speaks to me and we try to allow Jesus through the inspiration he's brought to a whole bunch of different authors over my 45 years doing this program, um, speaks through them to speak to us. And so the author writes his book directly, he or she, and then I read it and we, we discuss it and hopefully open your heart and mind to receive the Father's love. Jesus is saying that is what faith is. And when that happens, when your faith is strengthened with that love, we are then able to do whatever it is God asks of us. may not always be easy. hasn't always been easy for me, I can assure you. And I can't but believe that it hasn't been difficult for all of you who are listening to this right now, to my words about Jesus speaking about faith. Not always easy doing what the Father asks of, of us. And then not not just receiving it, but following it, even if it means returning home again to him in the heavens. When we come back in the heavens, certainly uh, there's a final judgment, but we're going to have a good sense of how it is we live this life before even the final judgment. What we did in this life, what we accomplished, and what we didn't accomplish believing we truly have freed the world of some of the pain, he says, by carrying it away in your own body. A lot of people have offered up their their pain and suffering as Jesus did on the cross. They see the pain and suffering that they're going through to be able to accomplish some good. And so Jesus then says life can be compared to taking a boat to sea, and again, this is what so many were fishermen in those days or uh, grew and baked, but life can be compared to taking a boat to sea. Many of them, his followers, were fishermen, which can be so calm and beautiful one moment and then dangerous and frightening the next. And we've, we've seen that in weather storms. Uh, North Carolina just uh, recently, there was an interview on, or yeah, it was, it was a news item closing a, one, a news program off this evening that I was watching, saying this to the show, this woman sitting, standing at her front door as the storm is approaching suddenly and quickly and unexpectedly. And all of a sudden, a bolt of lightning flashes a couple doors up and destroys a house. And life can be like that. Everything can seem like it's going so well. And then all of a sudden it turns and becomes frightening. And Jesus teaches, faith is knowing that no matter what happens, and this is difficult because we, we want to give everything our own explanation usually, um, and we need to under, try to understand life. There's no question about it. But there's still, we still live within mystery. There's still mysteries in life no matter what happens. And even if you were to be hung on a cross and... There were crucifixions happening in those days, so it wouldn't be surprising that Jesus might say that, but we have no reason at this sense to believe that um, 
he knew that was going to happen to him. Although it could have, it could have been part of the struggle he had in the desert uh, with uh, Lucifer. And um, maybe Lucifer showed him what was going to happen in his life. We have no way of, of knowing that. But anyway, he says, even Jesus says, even if you were to be hung on a cross, my Father will be with you and his love will ultimately prevail. Can you believe that in the struggles you are facing in life now, even though we can't fully understand them as God understands them, but can you believe that you're loved so much by God that his love will prevail in your life? Maybe, maybe not as you expect it to, maybe not as quickly as you wanted to, but do you believe ultimately love would prevail? Isn't, isn't that how we love? The ones we really love the most, we believe that people will recognize our love and the power of our love for them will prevail. They'll know that we love them. Sooner or later, it'll, it'll show in some way because we keep looking for different ways to show that, that love. And Jesus became a little confused and concerned, or excuse me, John, 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 the, became a little confused and concerned because Jesus seemed to be learning this lesson himself, even as he taught it to John. Jesus seemed to be learning this lesson himself, even as he taught it to God. If someone's is older in his life now and have seen so much of life, I, I can understand that, how there are many moments that prepare us for life in the future, not, at, not in that moment. But there's so much growth that can happen within us spiritually, in our heart and our mind and in our soul, that um, it's almost like we're in kindergarten sometime on various truths or various things we need to understand. We don't need to understand them at this moment, but we're going to need to understand them later. And so God in his love is preparing us for those moments. We don't see those moments, but Jesus is saying to John, that is what faith is. Faith is knowing that God's love is going to prevail no matter what happens in your life, even if no one understands and thinks you're weird because you're a Christian. How could you believe things like that in today's world? Well, we have reason to believe it because we live it. Whether we were willing to talk about it uh, more frequently. So that's why I chose that particular story. Um, I don't. I don't explain. Him. I had the opportunity to do that uh, tonight um, to talk about the program. Uh, about uh, the church, really, and and where the church is, and how we can see it in so many different places, in so many in so many different different ways. And let me just uh, read a part of a passage, at least from the beginning of the book, that I think gives some sense as to what it is that we were going to uh, talk about. Uh, what I've already begun to address. When we equate the church with the event, the message is that we are consumers. This is perhaps the single greatest reason we are on the precipice 
of a meltdown. And he's talking about the church. In my opinion, this is why people are leaving the church in droves. If the church is just another optional consumer choice, it's just too small of a story to give our life to. There, there has to be something more. I believe this is the primary reason why millennials who have uniquely been shaped to sniff out agendas and inauthenticity are saying no thank you to the church. It isn't that it's not cool enough or savvy enough, but that we don't need another product. We need a vision that points to how we can live together. We need a vision that addresses the unraveling of society and the injustices we see playing out all around us. We need a story that everyone can belong to, a story we can receive as a gift as opposed to earning the American dream. We're going to take this break, and then we'll be back. Welcome back to uh, Amplify. Um, Our guest, uh, for it was a good reason um, that there's nothing wrong, Um, wasn't there when we called him uh, this evening. I had the assurance and everything, but nevertheless, uh, that's not important. Just hope that everything is is well. But he's written a book, um, Everywhere You Look, Discovering the Church Right Where You Are, saying the church is right at work where you are. And he writes, uh, in this era of confusion, many of our institutions are tempted by former glories of the past rather than risking a bold new future. This is true of many of our churches as well. As more and more everyday people struggle to hope, those of us following Jesus must ask, how do we embody news that is so good it draws the attention and longing of our neighbors? At the moment when so many of our neighbors seem to be most in need of a local church, Do we have the imagination and clarity of vision to answer the ancient call to the people of God who are blessed to be a blessing? Written so so beautifully that so many institutions are changing. We wonder what the world's going to look like for all that we're we're going through right now. And um, I I think that uh, the mantra for... Um, my guest tonight is something like to to help you love God and make your neighborhood even more amazing. Can you see that as a part of the plan in your life? Can you incorporate that to help you love God more and make your neighborhood even more amazing? And so he raises various questions in the book that I think he ultimately then does does answer. Um, He writes about how um, the church is changing and is the church as we know it dying while the Spirit is stirring up something new? Do you believe the church is dying or do you believe that the Spirit is stirring up something new? So he asks, are we experiencing a meltdown or a new movement, and he suggested that more than changing what we do, we first need to change how we see. What, what's your vision? 
Can you see only the old or can you see the new? Not that one's better than the other, but can you see them? And the difference between them? And he's suggesting that we need to pay attention to how God is working in our lives every day. And um, he writes, if we look at the headlines, all we see is meltdown. Um, And that is true, isn't it? Uh, Whether it's fake news, good news, bad news, um, there's a there's a argument going on about that in the in the media. If we look at the headlines, all we see is meltdown. But he suggests that when we get on the street, it feels more like a movement. Is that is that your view? Is the spirit moving us to something new, or is the spirit? And it could be the same thing, um, helping us to better understand what already is. But he suggests that it's a profound mistake to ask questions about the church before asking questions about what God is doing. What is God doing in the world? Um, We don't always ask that question. We want to know why God allows what is happening to happen or why God is punishing us. There are a lot of questions, but is there ever a reason for us to just um, wonder what it is that God is doing? Certainly evil has a place in the world, and we can understand something of what evil is doing, but what about what God is doing? Um, engraved on um, the tombstone of the poet Robert Frost, um, maybe you have to be a little bit older to appreciate Robert Frost, if you appreciate poetry, though, you'll, you'll appreciate his, world, his words. He, he said, quote, I had a lover's quarrel with the world. I had a lover's quarrel with the world. That's, those are his own words. And what it really means is that it, he had a lover's quarrel with God. You ever had a quarrel with God in your life? Whether or not we realize it, the same is true of all of us because of the evil that we encounter in our lives. Sometimes we give in to it, don't we? We give in to it. Why is there so much war? Why is there so much hatred in the world? Because so many people have given in to allowing that to happen. It isn't because of God has allowed it to happen, but because we haven't used the gifts, perhaps, that God has given to us in our life. Why is there so much sickness and sorrow? Why is there so much um, anxiety and insecurity, lack of self-esteem in the world? Why so much loneliness? Why so much suffering and death? Is it God's fault? Did God create an imperfect world? Or have we failed to love as is expected of us as followers of Christ? I'd like like you to believe that the answer is obvious. That God did not create an imperfect world. But we have in some way, to varying degrees, failed to love as Jesus has expected of us. And so we we lament that the world is not 
perfect, forgetting that if it if it were if if the world were indeed perfect, there might not be a place in it for us and our loved ones, since we are all imperfect. Two of us can say we're perfect, and so if it was a perfect world, very simply, would there be a place for it, for us in it? It's a world that would be so much better if each of us simply loved a little more. Hard to believe, isn't it? It's what Jesus is teaching us and showing us. The world would become much better if each of us simply loved a little more, not loved like someone else loves, but like we can love. Whatever, However God has created us with whatever power of love we have to use that love. Just a little more. Instead of being so quick to judge and criticize the imperfections that we see, see in others. And there's a there's a story uh, that um, I've told. Well, if you've been on for 45 years, you've probably told all your stories more than once. Uh, but sometimes they're new ones. But there is, a, for example, the story of a um, young man who spent a long time he decided he was going to search for the uh, perfect wife. He was, he was searching for the perfect woman. And eventually he found her. He thought he, it took him so long, and eventually he found her. But they didn't get married. They didn't get married because she was looking for the perfect husband. And it wasn't him. And so if we cannot love those who love us. How can we expect to love our enemies, as Jesus asks us to do? Maybe our expectation of what our love is is being asked to do is greater than even God's. Because maybe we're part of a plan that our love may seem so insignificant, but together with others who have to make that same decision at the same time, if we're all making the decision for to love God, this person, even though our nature tells us we shouldn't, but God is telling us we should, if all of us did just those little things, they add up in ways we fail to understand because of God's help and God's guidance and wisdom to accomplish much more than we could ever begin to understand. So do to others what you would have them do to you, the world's Philosophy is different than professing that you should never do for others what they can do for themselves. Um, There's a great Christian writer, uh, G.K. Chesterton, who's been very popular for, for, for decades, has written many beautiful books, and he said, he was quoted as saying, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and not tried. Again, Christianity has not been tried and found wanting, as some believe. It is not, it has been found difficult and not tried. 
think about the champions that exist in our world in in anything at all. It's it's the fact that they don't give up on trying, don't give up on themselves. Christians are saying or are being taught to by God not to give up on ourselves, not to give up on God because of all that he is prepared to do for us. So how well have you tried to live as Jesus teaches you? Because the simple truth is that if we cling to our bitterness or hatred, they will destroy us before they harm those against whom they are directed. We hurt ourselves so often more than trying to hurt others. So many people are ill, not because of what they are eating, but because of what is eating them inside. They have failed to understand that the Spirit of God is within us and pay attention to all those human aspects of our being that are causing us problems and troubles, misdirecting our intentions, causing us to lie and and to to hate sometimes. And so um, what's eating you inside? On the other hand, what's inspiring you inside? What is whose love is it that inspires you? Is it God's? Scientists, especially in the area of medicine, have been warning us for a long time that holding grudges and resentments literally make people sick physically. And I've I've dealt with that that premise many times on my program. Perhaps more in the future, I've had I've had physicians on, had doctors on, talking about medical science. I've had philosophers on, theologians, uh, psychiatrists, who teach that same lesson from their, from their own perspective that resentments literally make people sick physically. And only that forgiveness which flows from the soul that Jesus teaches us so well, and no medicine, no therapy, can heal us from that injury, from that illness. The love of God can do so much for us. Think about, think again about those people and what love has enabled you to overcome in your life when someone stood by you, when you were troubled or didn't understand or had done wrong, and yet they saw your goodness and wanted to stay with you. And so we falsely believe that inflicting pain on someone we don't like is going to make us feel good. Huh. You made me feel bad. I'm going to make you feel bad. Not only make you feel bad, I'm going to make you feel worse. When all that such an attitude does is make us as bad or worse than that person that we believe is that way, him or herself. And so the, it is said that the coward or the fool never forgives because it's not part of their nature. The coward or the fool 
never forgives because it's not part of their nature. Neither can they be forgiven by God because their hearts are closed to it. And that's the danger against which Jesus warns us, that what we place in our hearts can really cause us so much, so much harm. Um, part of my closing or opening remarks are about the warmth of God's love, hoping that you have felt the warmth of God's love this this very day. And there's a story titled in one of the other faith and imagination stories that I tell. It's titled The Warmth of God's Love. And it's, again, it's faith and imagination. It was a bright, sunny day, but a cool, gentle breeze flowed from the water below. It was also a good and productive day, for many people would come to listen to Jesus. Once again, it was John. John said, Master, I'm so pleased with you. The others just sort of laughed. Jesus replied, I am pleased that you are pleased, John. The others laughed even louder, but Jesus said, I didn't mean to be funny. Yes, Peter said, but I'm the one who brings crowds to you. And the laughter increased. Give him time, Jesus said. Just give him time. John hung his head. Jesus touched his arm and said, Look up. And then John said, Master, the Father is always with you. He tells you what to say, and then he helps you. But what about us? We are nothing but fools. But you learn from me, Jesus said. Yes, Peter said, we learn, but how do we know the Father is within us? How do we know that he is there? And as of yet, of course, the Spirit had not been revealed to them on, on Pentecost. But Jesus answers his question, why do you ask that? You should know by now that the Father is always with each and every person. With the sinner? Judas asked. Yes, Jesus answered, even with a sinner. For you are all special souls. Each of you is a gift. You are his creation, his work. Do you believe that? Could Jesus be speaking to you now that you are a special soul, you are a gift, his creation, his work? Or as happened in this story, John says, but some of us fail. Yes, we all do. That is true, Jesus said, but the Father is always there to help mold you again if you wish to grow in his image through his word. If you wish to grow in his image through his word. And Jesus looked down at the water below and said, Feel the cool breeze that the water brings to us. Look at the sky. Feel the warmth of the sun. That warmth is like the Father's love, and the breeze is like a gentle kiss. Look around you. Look up. Look down. There was so emotion in Jesus' voice that shivers ran through those who had followed him. Jesus said, How can you question 
whether the Father loves you when you see all around you that he has created. There was silence. Not a word was spoken. But there were tears in each and every one's eyes. So part of what we were going to talk about even tonight was how do we become the visible body of Christ in our everyday lives? And the, the, I would suggest that the key principle at the heart of this book is movements happen when people who thought they were along discover they were not. If, if the only place we can experience the body of Christ is during worship services, our guest believes that we have failed. That yes, the worship services are critically important, but it isn't the only place that we should experience who we are in Christ. Uh, no matter what we do in life, talk show host, I have a producer, other people who are listening have had various roles in life to play out, and he, I guess, suggests that um, it's not a new vision, but it's a new moment. And all of life is that way, in a sense, that um, we've been given the vision that Christ has, but it's a new moment for within which we can understand and apply it. And so he is passionate about how people use or misuse the word church. What do they mean by church? Because he believes then that our words create our worlds. They create what it is that we truly, truly believe. And and maybe we're attempting, Jesus, or God is attempting to teach us something new. If we become, he writes, the kind of people who simultaneously pray and hope desperately for change while refusing to control the outcomes, we will be astounded and what we get to experience. When this happens, we will say that we got to be a part of what God was doing in our day. Would that give you joy tomorrow if you thought as you began today that you would be a part of what God was doing that day? <laughs> 